Look at the Bible together and look at uh, a couple of accounts, actually, um, that fits in with the season we're in. Who knows what season we're in? Lent, well done, that was in the clue about the Lent course that Mark said. Um, uh, I, you know, I have to be honest, you know, Lent for some of us, maybe for men of, many of us, may not necessarily mean much um, but we're going to kind of look at some, um, some passages tonight which kind of link in with the whole period of time that we're in. And um, I want us to, I'm going to read from Mark's Gospel. Uh, and I'm going to read chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, do turn to it with us. If you haven't got a Bible, would like one. We've got some that we'd love to give to you. And uh, free, you can take one home with you tonight. So I'm reading from Mark 1. And I'm going to read from... Uh, verse 9. Mark 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn up open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You're my Son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. But once the Spirit uh, sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Um, I'm going to look at this passage tonight and look at this kind of account. And we're going to look at another... another is this Victoria's stand? <laughs> it's going to collapse on me. Did you pay much for this stand, Victoria? It's got your name written on top of it. Is it yours? It might be. Someone stole it and put it here. Okay, we'll see what happens if it collapses. We'll carry on. Um, no. D- do I want some more height? Are you suggesting I'm short? Um, I'm a, I, yeah, I'm a bit, yeah, you could try and fiddle with it. It looks seamless, then, if I just carry on talking. While you break the stand. <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh, hello. <laughs> I'm not sure about that much height. No, that's fine. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Um, we're going to be looking at this account. We're also going to be looking at a parallel one. Because I don't know if you noticed in this account in Mark, it's actually really, really short. So it's the, it's the, it's the bit of Jesus being tempted, tested in the desert. And... Uh, when, when that happens, you know, in the other accounts, you get a lot more information. But in this one, it's just really, really fast. It says he's in the desert for 40 days and then he goes. So we're going to look at a parallel reference a, a bit as well. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a theologian who some of you may have heard of, he, um, this is one of my favorite quotes by him. It's really challenging. He says this. He says, the church is nothing but a, sen- a section of humanity in which Christ has really taken form. The church is nothing but a section of humanity in which Christ has really taken form. Now, when I read that, I'm really challenged because I think, well, is that true about us as a church here in this community? I'm Vicky here in Whitcomb. I look after this church in St. Tom's, a very different type of church. But, you know, is this true? Can you see Christ? Has Christ really taken form amongst us? I look in the city and think about us as a church in the city. I believe there's one church in the city. Do people look at the church and see a bunch of people where Christ has really taken form? That's a real challenge to us as church. And what I want to talk about tonight kind of feeds into some of that. Do we look like Christ? Do we look like Jesus? When people look at us from the world, what do they see when they look at the church? Do they see a bunch of hypocrites? 
Do they see people who say one thing and live another? Do they maybe not see us at all because we're hidden behind walls or we're silenced? Do they see a bunch of people where Christ, this, this person of Jesus, seems to have really taken form? And what does that mean anyway? What does that look like? I think God's looking for a bride, a generation, the church, that is increasingly naturally supernatural, where we live in a way that is beyond just naturally being nice to people. See, it's good, as Christians, it's good to be nice to people. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to be nice. Nice is such a dreadful word, isn't it? It's good to kind of be visible and kind and generous and gentle and all those sort of things. But actually, that's not exclusively Christian, I would say. It's really interesting. I don't know if you've read the reports recently. Um, Sikhs, the, the kind of many people in the nation who are really struggling financially, have been increasingly ter- turning to Sikh temples because they get fed there. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a Sikh temple. It's not something probably you do a lot. But when I was doing part of my training, we went uh, into South or we went to kind of various places. And, and Sikh temples, incredible how they feed people. Anyone who comes in can get a meal. Anywhere in the world, you can walk into a Sikh temple and get some food. And it's quite amazing. And they talk about being generous. They talk about having hearts wanting to serve the community. They talk in really beautiful ways about loving their community, actually. So let's not think that just being nice and being kind and being generous, we have a monopoly on it. I hope if the fruit of the Spirit is at work in our lives, that does overflow a lot. But there's something I think that God wants to do beyond us simply being a bunch of nice people that are kind of generally kind and nice to children and small animals and float around smiling quite a lot. I'm not sure we do that. But I think God wants more. He wants us to be a people who actually witness with our deeds, with our words, but also have supernatural action to back it up. Because the same power that rose Christ from the dead is at work at you and me, I believe. We believe. Yes, yes. I think as an Anglican, I'll give an Anglican nod. Yes, I think that's true. Is that a trick question? No, I think that's true. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is at work in you and me. That's what scripture tells us. (laughs) Suddenly we've become all Pentecostal. Well, Peter Jones has. It's true. I don't say that to hype you up. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is at work in you and me. Somehow in my mortal body, it's at work there. Now, do we always see it bursting out and bubbling out? No. But I think God wants us to be a people who increasingly experience the supernatural, naturally, in our day-to-day lives, and that people around us see that. We need to be a people that embrace what God is doing. We are a Trinitarian church. We believe in God the Father's love. We believe in the Lordship and the, the saving power of Jesus. And we believe in the power of the Spirit that breathes into us and gives us life. We need to be... Uh, a generation, a church that's increasingly, therefore, in step, submitted and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Because actually, I think this passage is really key, and we're going to look at what I mean by that. Actually, the Holy Spirit plays key, key, central role in this passage. What does it mean to be submitted to? What does it mean to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to walk in step with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think Jesus demonstrates it brilliantly in this passage, and we're going to look at it in a second. So, so in Mark's passage, Mark's gospel is kind of immediately, he kind of whizzes around and he uses the word immediately loads of times. He, he kind of whizzes through. And, and so as you read Mark's passage, he talks about Jesus, one minute he's being baptized, the next minute he's in the wilderness, and the next minute he seems to be out the wilderness. It all, all happens so quickly. What's going on here? What's going on in this passage? And where's Mark trying to take us? 
starts with this beautiful image of Jesus being baptised. And you hear these words from the father towards his son. You're my son, the beloved, with you I'm well pleased. This is actually one of the, one of the few accounts in the Bible that, that, that kind of gives uh, the kind of presence of the, of the Trinity there. The father speaking, the son is being baptised, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. Uh, so we have the Trinity at work here. It's one of the kind of the few passages where it's kind of almost it's implicit there in that. It's actually interesting that we, we translate it from the Greek, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. But actually in the Greek, um, the translation is, is actually better. It's literally it actually means um, in him, really. So the Spirit of, Spirit of God descended within him. This speaks of kind of an infilling of the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. It didn't sort of land on him like a dove. I guess we, we get that picture and we imagine that from the dove landing. But actually the Greek, when it's used in the New Testament a lot more, isn't just kind of on, it's in, within, empowering from within. So the Holy Spirit, something happens to Jesus at his baptism. There is a filling of the Holy Spirit. There's an indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that, that occurs to him then. And then suddenly, Jesus goes into the wilderness. What's really interesting is, when Jesus goes into the wilderness, how he gets there. See, many of you here will have been through wilderness experiences. Maybe some of you are in it right now. I guess many of us could say, you know, there have been times when we've felt really lost. There's times when we've felt really overwhelmed by loneliness or isolation or just feeling really spiritually kind of drained and weak. Wildernesses are not great places to just hang out and be chirpy and chipper in. You kind of feel dry, you feel weak, you feel overwhelmed. And Jesus is in this place. It's that, that, that great bit of understatement in the Bible in, in one of the passages in it where Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days and the Bible comes up with that great bit of understatement at the end of the 40 days, and he was hungry. <laughs> yeah. Jesus in the wilderness. Do you know what it feels like to be in the wilderness? It's a hard, difficult place. But when we're in the wilderness, what do we often do? Well, we blame perhaps circumstances or wrong choices or we perhaps blame the enemy and we kind of think it's him who's dragged us here. But did you notice what, what happens if you read this passage and read the other accounts? How does he get there? He's taken there by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that leads him to the place of wilderness. And we'll look at that more in detail in a moment. But he's taken. Verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. Again, the language in the Greek isn't just kind of sort of encouraged him and gave him a gentle nudge. It's kind of forced him into the wilderness. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of freedom, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of breakthrough, took him from a place of blessing and hearing the Father's affirmation, encouragement and honour, suddenly takes him to a place of wilderness, seemingly abandonment, certainly very, very tough circumstances. What was going on? The word is driven out, driven out by the Holy Spirit. It's a very powerful verb. And where else, the other places it's used in Mark, it's speaking of kind of driving out um, the demonic, unclean spirits from harassed people. So Jesus is in the wilderness, but he's gone there willingly. He's gone there knowing that God has taken him there. And as the serpent tempted the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, so the second Adam is tempted or tested Tested is a better translation, really, in the wilderness. Adam, tested in the garden, he fails. 
Jesus, the Bible describes as the second Adam, tested in the wilderness and overcomes, we know. And the truth is for you or me, the enemy hasn't stopped testing people. The enemy hasn't stopped trying to tempt them. Since those days, since the days of Adam, he's continually wanting to do that. And whether it's in the Garden of Eden, in a place of joy and blessing and overwhelming fruitfulness, or whether it's in a wilderness, dry, desperately broken place, the enemy will come and try and test and tempt you and overwhelm you. But because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus overcame, because he prevailed, you and I can know that victory as well. That's the heart of the Father. I want to read um, a parallel account from Luke 4, because it gives a little bit more detail. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me. Luke 4, 1 to 14. So from verse 1, uh, you can read back in chapter 3, baptism has happened, same thing, we're told there, voice from heaven, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, filled him, again literally in the Greek there, descended within him, and a voice from heaven, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And then chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I'll give you all their I will give all uh, he didn't say it like that he said I will give you all their authority and splendor for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to so if you worship me it'll all be yours Jesus answered it's written worship the Lord your God and serve him only the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you're the son of God he said throw yourself down from here for it's written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully so they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. We're going to look at this passage briefly, and what's, what's going on here? What's going on with the Holy Spirit? Just as, as an aside, I don't know if you noticed back in, in, in Mark's life, it's really interesting to look at the Gospels and to kind of get the flavours of what God prophetically was saying through them and the way the different kind of um, Gospel writers kind of rec- recount various bits. In, in Mark's Gospel, I don't know if you noticed, it said that, that Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, that he was served or protected, it talks about by angels. It says that Jesus was with the wild beasts. It's a really strange expression, and you kind of think, what? What, what, what's going on there? What, why does Mark suddenly say he's in the wilderness and he's there with wild beasts and there's angels looking after him, ministering to him? It's a strange expression. And I was thinking about it and thinking, okay, this suddenly caught my eye. Why does it talk about wild beasts? One thought to me about this, about what Mark is trying to say in his gospel here, is that Mark's talking about Jesus coming to do something much bigger than just sort of beating the, the devil in, in the wilderness. This is something about the restoration of the whole of creation. 
if the wild beasts pose no threat to Jesus, if he sleeps, for example, with his head on a lion, he's lying down with a load of wolves to keep warm, and they pose, they pose no threat to him, then something's happened in creation, at least out there in the wilderness, out there in this place. The wilderness has been transformed. It's at peace with itself and at peace with Jesus. Why might that be important? Well, I think it's something to do about one day, we're told, that the whole of creation is going to be restored. That there's going to be a restoration of creation. And there will be peace. That through Jesus, through, as a result of his victory, as a result of his conquering the power of sin, his winning uh, over um, the powers of darkness and destruction, harmony will come to earth. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And there's an echo of this found in Hosea, chapter 2, verse 18, where God pledges to make a covenant with wild animals so Israel can lie down in safety and experience peace. I think it's prophetically pointing towards that, saying, you know, we might live in a wilderness, but one day, people, one day... There's going to be hope. One day there's going to be a restoration. One day you might feel like you're being ravaged by wild beasts the whole time. You might feel like you're in a wilderness. But because of what Jesus is doing, because of what he's done, one day you'll eternally know peace. Not just you, but the whole world will know peace. And there'll be a sense of being able to lie down with the wild animals. The wild animals won't ravage you anymore. It'll be a place of peace and harmony. Whatever the situation, it certainly seems to be saying here that actually, in the midst of the wilderness, God's power is able to protect Jesus from the wild beasts. Just like Daniel was in the lion's den, and, and there was that he, God shut the lion's mouths. And maybe for some of you, it feels like there's kind of wild beasts ravaging you. As I was praying for this service, I just had the sense that maybe for some of you in the workplace, there's people who are a bit like ferocious lions, just waiting to devour you. Maybe it's a, a uni, but I sense in the workplace there's just kind of snarling wolves around and they're constantly there biting and snapping in the background God's wanting to say to you I'm the God who's able to overcome the wild beasts in your life I'm the God who's able to shut the mouth of the lion I'm the God who's able to deliver because of who I am, because of what I've done so Jesus is in the wilderness he's been confronted with the enemy and he's overcome him by the power of his word it's interesting, isn't it the way Satan tests and kind of tries to undermine Jesus. See, what happened just a few verses before? Jesus had been baptised. There'd been a voice from heaven. Heaven had spoken. The Father had spoken over his Son and said, You're my Son. You're my Beloved. And that word would have gone into the heart of Jesus. And then a few short verses later, what happens? Satan comes and what does he say? If you're the Son of God, Instantly trying to undermine that word. Instantly trying to rob that, that truth and that, that, that word, those words of life from Jesus. And that's what Satan does. See, in your life, God will have spoken lots. You'll have had many prophetic words being spoken over you. If you're a Christian, you've been part of church, been part of this church here. People will have prayed for you. There will have been words that have been spoken over you, prayed over you. Words for your future. Words on your calling, your destiny. Words perhaps when you've been praying and you sense God's spoken to you. The enemy is a thief, and he wants to steal truth, life. God's words bring life. That's what it says in Isaiah 55, isn't it? Listen to me, all you who are you know, thirsty. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Hear me, God says, so that your soul may live. I've talked about this before in the prophetic. When you get a prophetic word from God, it's like light bulbs come on. I've never yet prayed for someone 
and had a prophetic word for them and said, I feel God saying this to you. And they've gone, oh, no, 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 I really don't want that encouraging word. That makes me feel terrible. I haven't yet had that. When you pray for someone and you get a word, and if it's truly a word from God, the whole face lights up. Sometimes even if it's a challenging word, even if it's a word that's God saying, actually, I love you and I want to do this in your life, but this needs to happen. Something comes alive in you. Your soul comes alive. That's what that word says. Hear me that your soul may live. God's words bring life, yeah? You're all so quiet tonight. Perhaps you're just stunned by the weight of the teaching. Is that what it is? Or is it kind of half-term maybe, half-termitis? So I'll, I'll promise to get you back in time for Top Gear, okay? God's word brings life. And so is it any wonder that that's what Satan wants to rob and steal from us? And so we begin to think, well, God, did God really say that to me all those years ago? Was I really called to do that? Did God really call me to be involved in the worship scene or, or exercise those creative gifts? Or did God really call me into business? Did God really ask me to set up that company? Did God really want me to get married? Did God... All these questions begin to arise. The enemy constantly feeding lies in. Ah, did God really say that to you? Where did he first say that? Right back in the garden, didn't he, with Adam? Did God really say that if you eat from that tree, you're going to die? Planting doubt, planting seeds of doubts. And so here, Jesus has been spoken to and been affirmed and called, saying, you're my son in whom I love. I'm so well pleased with you. And then a few verses later, if you're really the son of God, testing it, well, it's not really true, is it? Prove it to me. There's this battle going on here, a battle. And Jesus counters the lies with truth. When Jesus comes out of the wilderness, something has happened to him. We actually see that in the Greek. He changes. We particularly see this in Luke, Luke 4. It says right at the beginning, after his baptism, it says, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has descended upon him and in him at his baptism in the Greek. It's filled him. There's been a kind of indwelling sense of the Holy Spirit in him. So the Holy Spirit has filled him. Then he's led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness. And literally, in the Greek, he's led around in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is taken there and drop him and clear off. The Holy Spirit somehow seems to take him and stay with him. And that shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because the Holy Spirit is... The paraclete, the one who comes alongside, he's the comforter. And so the Holy Spirit is there, leading him. But do you notice what happens at the end, when he comes out of the, out of the wilderness, in Luke 4, verse 14. He was full of the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Holy Spirit. But now, after the tempting, after overcoming the enemy, verse 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee, now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Something has happened in the wilderness. Something has happened, I think, I believe. Something's happened in his encounter with God and in the challenges that's come to him that there's a new sense of power in him. And it's not just power that makes him feel strong, I can beat the enemy. It's power for ministry. Because as soon as Jesus comes out of the wilderness, it's a new season for him. Suddenly, it's all about proclaiming the kingdom. It's about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. It's about proclaiming who, uh, what, what God is calling him to do. You read that in Luke's accounts and also in Mark's, that suddenly he wants to proclaim the kingdom. And it's wonderful, you, you, know, you get that fantastic passage later on in Luke 4, 
where he goes up into the synagogue. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom. Suddenly there's a new, uh, a new sense of authority within Jesus. There's a manifestation of that authority. The word power that's used here is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. There's this kind of explosive power that Jesus has, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him. That same power that rose him from the the dead is available for you and for I. It's a power resource and it's there for the miracles that Jesus moves into this new stage, stage of ministry, new stage of empowering and strengthening. And I long, I long for that. I long for us as a church, not just here, but the church in the nation, in the nations, to see God's kingdom come through powers. The power of the Spirit. Things that point and say... There's a God who loves you, who's available, who wants to break into your life. Jesus uses words. And he did wonderful works and wonders. And that's what we're called to as well, to be a people of words, work and wonders. To demonstrate what the kingdom is through actions, through deeds, through words, and through the power of his spirit breaking out. And I want to pray for us in this season uh, as we're in Lent, that it's a time of reflection. I guess it's a time when the church is kind of it stills down in some in some parts of the church, and there's Lent courses happening. Uh, we're actually going to be running one ourselves. We're kind of doing some studies. But it's a time of reflection when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And I don't know whether any of you are giving up chocolate or giving up anything for Lent. Some people do that or not. But it's a good time to just take some time out and say, Lord, what is it you want to speak to me about in this season? I can drop the business of life maybe and actually focus on you and say, Lord, will you speak to me in this season? Will you help me realize where there are battles in my life that need to be won, where I need to see the enemy overcome in my own personal life? It's a good season to be able to stop and make space for God's spirit. And it's not something we often kind of, in the busyness of life and rushing around, we often don't make space perhaps to just stop. But I want to encourage us to do that in this season. As we head towards Easter, as we head towards all the kind of Easter celebrations, Um, My prayer for us is that Lent becomes a season where we can just pause and say, Lord, where do I need to see the enemy overcome in my life? Would you give me the words of truth that see him defeated? So that we can become a people, a supernatural people in this generation. I want us to just pray and to make ourselves available to what God wants to do. Um, Before I... uh, came out tonight, I was just praying and waiting on God and just listening and asking for some words for us that maybe would help us just put a finger sometimes on some of the things that God wants to do. And God does that in all sorts of ways, doesn't he? Sometimes as we're listening to a sermon or in worship or maybe you're on the way to church, we just get this niggling sense that God's wanting to um, encourage and wanting to pinpoint areas of our life. See, the enemy wants to condemn us. The enemy wants to kind of crush us, to overwhelm us. And he'll often do that with shame or guilt, a sense of failure or inadequacy. And it's a bit like someone hitting you with a sledgehammer. You know you've been hit, you know it hurts, and you feel pretty rubbish about it. There's no kind of positive sense of it's going to be okay. You just feel broken often and really nailed by a big sledgehammer and it kind of hurts everywhere 
that's often condemnation. But the Holy Spirit often comes with conviction. And conviction is not like a sledgehammer. Conviction's like a scalpel that identifies an area of kind of sickness or infirmity and says, I, I want to bring healing. I want to bring transformation into this area of your life. And it may be a small area. It may be something that you really struggle with. It may be a habitual sin. It may be an area where you're struggling in kind of your parenting or just in your relationship with family members. It may be an area you're struggling in with jealousy or anger or stuff on the internet. And God doesn't want to crush you and smack you with a hammer, but God wants to say, I want you to know victory in this area of your life. I want you to be an overcomer because that's what I've shaped you for. That's what I've made you for. I've not made you to be a victim. I've not created you to be a victim. I've created you to be my son, my daughter, and I love you. I love you. God's affirmation and love for you is not dependent on what you do. It wasn't dependent for Jesus on that. You might say, well, he was the son of God and he was holy, so of course God was well pleased with him. Do you know there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any less? Nothing. Nothing you can do will make him love you any less. And there's also nothing you can do that will make him love you any more. He just loves you extravagantly, overwhelmingly, more than you can imagine. God loves you. It's not dependent on your performance or how many Alpha courses you've gone to, how many, how many times you've gone to church, how well you read the Bible, how holy you are. His love is not dependent on those things. He's grieved by our sin. He wants to bring transformation to us, but he loves you. Because while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you and for me and for us and the world. And because he loves you, he doesn't want to leave you in a state of brokenness or pain or sin. He wants to raise you up and transform. And he's able to do that because he loves you and his spirit is available for you and for me. He is the God of transformation. He's the God who finishes what he starts. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And he doesn't want to flatten you he wants to transform you. He doesn't want to crush you. He wants to breathe life into you by his spirit to bring transformation from the inside of our hearts, our minds, our bodies. And he wants you to be an overcomer, to see the enemy defeated in your life, in the big battles and in the small battles. So I want us to pray that in this season, maybe we'd be willing to be led by the Holy Spirit, wherever he wants to take us. For some of you, that will be to the mountaintops, to have a fresh, glorious glimpse of the Father like Moses. And you'll come down like the ready Brett kid, shiny and glowing. And everyone will look at you and go, wow, what's happened to you? And you'll be able to say, I've been with the Father. I'm blown away. For some of you, if you say, Holy Spirit, lead me where you want me to go, some of you, he may take you into the wilderness. 
And that's not a comfortable place to go. But he'll hold your hand and he'll lead you there. And he'll lead you around and he won't leave you. And he'll be available for you. And when you come out the wilderness, because you will come out the wilderness, because that's what the Father does. He takes you to a place of green pasture. That's the destination. When you come out, if you've been trusting in God and leaning on him, like it says in the Song song of Songs, it says, I saw coming out of the wilderness, leaning on my lover. You might come out stumbling and tired and hungry. But something will have happened in your heart. And you might know a new level of uh, authority and power. So I want to pray for us that we're willing to say yes to the Holy Spirit to lead us daily as we leave this place tonight. It begins with something in our hearts saying, okay, Holy Spirit, lead me. And I've got some words that God gave me, maybe for some people here that you need to respond to. And you can do this tonight, come and get some prayer, but it may be that just God, that little scalpel just goes, nick, and you feel it inside and you think, I need to talk to someone about this or I need to go home and pray about this, I need to be able to offer this to God. And if that's you, you can deal with it how you want to. God often gives me pictures, that's the way he speaks to me. So I had a whole load of pictures that I've just written down of things that I sense the Holy Spirit saying for people here, perhaps for myself as well, maybe an area that God wants to speak into. So let's just close our eyes and be still. Maybe God will say something else to you. Maybe there will be other words as well. But I want to pray for us. And I want to give us an opportunity to respond. I'm going to invite the band to just come up and be ready because we're just going to go back into worship in a minute. But I just want to pray for us. Jesus, you were led by the Holy Spirit into a wilderness for 40 days. You battled all sorts of feelings and emotions. Lord, sometimes we forget because, Jesus, somehow we imagine you as this um, almost inhuman human. You're God, we think to ourselves. So that's why you were able to overcome. And you are God, Jesus. But you are fully human. And so you were hungry. And you must have had sleepless nights resting in the wilderness with your stomach rumbling, dreaming uh, about food. And somehow in your humanity, you pressed through and you were obedient to the Father. And when the enemy came and tested you and tempted you, you overcame by the power of the word. And you resisted temptation and you overcame And the enemy had to flee from you because he had nothing left. We thank you for your obedience, Jesus. And we pray we too might be obedient sons and daughters of the King. Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Lord, we offer you our hearts. We offer you our hands. And we say, would you lead us? Would you lead us where you would take us? Lord, whether that's to the mountaintop, to have a fresh vision of your beauty and glory. Whether it's through the valley of the shadow of death, where some have been walking. We say we trust you. 
whether it's into the wilderness, to a place of testing and difficulty, Lord, in those times, would you hold those who know what it is to be in the wilderness, who feel a bit abandoned and lost, where the ghosts in the darkness come up and try and haunt and fill us with fear or a sense of isolation. Thank you that you're the Father of all comfort. Holy Spirit, we look to you that we might walk in step with you, that we might be people who are full of you. We might be people who are empowered by you. We say we're willing to submit to you, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. I had a picture of a, of, of a bonfire that was kind of being starved of air and it was really struggling to ignite, it was really struggling to burn. It was kind of pressed in and there were big kind of wooden boards leaning against it, pressing in and it was stopping the air circulating to the kind of wood and the bracken that was underneath it. And then I saw some of these heavy weights being pulled back and suddenly the wind blew through and this, this fire roared. I just sense for some here, that's how you felt. You kind of feel like you spiritually you've been starved of oxygen. And God is wanting to remove some heavy burdens from you, some things that have been laid against you, pressed against you. And you kind of feel, you know what they are, but they're, uh, they're pressures that have kind of crushed you spiritually and tried to shape you into something that you weren't supposed to be. And the breath of God has been struggling to find air into you because of the, the situation that you've kind of been compressed into. But God is wanting to lift some of those burdens from you, to breathe life into you. I had another picture of um, uh, a guitar being strummed. And there was a kind of discordant kind of guitar chord that was played. And it was obvious that something was out of kilter. One One of the strings was out of tune. And for this person, as they played, they could tell that something was wrong, but they didn't know what to do. It was like the person didn't know how to tune the guitar. And I felt for someone here, you kind of feel like you're just really aware that spiritually something is really wrong. And you don't feel right, but you have no idea what, what it is and how to change it. And I just sensed that God was saying to this particular person, you need to seek wise counsel. The Holy Spirit is the counsellor. And God uses his body to... Uh, bring his wisdom to others and if that's you if you kind of that resonates with you and you feel spiritually something's not quite right but you don't know what it is then just sense God saying go and find a, a trusted brother or sister someone who you can go to and if we can help do that in a church here you may not be part of our church I have no idea God's saying to just do that and God's going to bring revelation I had a picture of someone wearing earmuffs, like ear protectors. And I felt God saying, this particular person is really struggling to hear from God. We put earmuffs on if we've kind of, our ears have been, we don't want our ears to get damaged, uh, or we're, we're, they've been damaged in the past, and this person had these yellow ear defenders on. And I felt God say that there's someone here tonight who has been disappointed by church in the past. Uh, maybe it's by a Christian, but I felt perhaps it's a church situation, and you kind of, put ear defenders over your ears because you're just really tired and you don't want to be kind of battered anymore. You don't want to uh, be hurt in a way anymore. But actually it's really stopped you hearing from God now. 
And God is wanting to take those ear defenders off and speak words of truth and healing to you. And he's asking you to trust him that this is a fresh season, a new beginning, new opportunity to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. I had a picture of some polished army boots. And they were, po- they were polished so well you could look down and see your face in them. And I felt for someone, um, maybe for several people here, that this, uh, the passage that came to mind was talking about shoes of the gospel of peace, feet fitted with, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. But God was saying that actually uh, you're called to war, you're called to engage in warfare and to step out into a kind of an uncertain, muddy battlefield terrain. And you will bring peace. But God's calling, it was a call to mission. And some of you are particularly stirred about mission. You can perhaps feel the Holy Spirit around your feet now. It's kind of a call to mission, to step out and be bold. And it's to not do it um, daintily or nervously. God's saying, I'm giving you an authority to go out into warfare. And it's not physical warfare. It's not against blood or flesh or blood. But it's against the principalities and powers. And God wants to call you to mission to bring transformation and healing and deliverance and freedom for others. If you particularly have a heart to see breakthrough in individuals' lives, particularly in perhaps the area of deliverance and breakthrough, then maybe it'd be good to get some prayer with someone. And the last picture I had, there are some other things, but this is the last one I'm going to share. I saw this well shaft going down, being dug. And someone just digging down and down and down and down. And it was in the middle of a, like a, a desert in a wilderness. And this person had been digging for such a long time. And I could just see this well shaft going down. And then the person just stopped. Because they'd had enough. And I felt God in this picture, I felt God say, just one more shovel, one more shovel. And the person resisted and then eventually did and hit this aquifer. Suddenly the well started filling with water. And I felt God say that, that perhaps there's just, maybe it's just one person here. You feel like you've been digging for a long time for the more of God, but you felt God's promised. And God's saying this is a season of new beginnings. The word I had was unexpected blessing. So if that's you and you'd love someone to pray with you because you just feel really tired from digging, you've got no more, maybe get someone to stand with you. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in each of our lives? The truth is you want to speak to each of us and lead us to a new place of blessing and freedom and hope. Lord, we look to you, God of mercy, compassion, God of power, the same spirit that rose you, Christ, from the grave is at work and available for us. So we look to you for your dunamis power to bring transformation. We say yes to your ways, that your kingdom might come, that your will might be done in our lives, in our circumstance, in our community in our city, Lord. And always, Jesus, just for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to worship just as we kind of draw to a close. The children will come down in about five minutes, ten minutes or so. If you'd love someone to pray with you, uh, we'll kind of be over here, but you may just want to respond in worship. But if you'd love someone to stand with you, Peter, Victoria, the team, Mark and I will go over that side. We'd normally go that side. But we can't, so we'll be over there somewhere. If you'd love someone to stand with you in any of the words, 
resonate with you. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe God wants to say some other things. Let's make space for you.